end. And we certainly are grateful for not only the faithfulness of years past, but how he's already been faithful to us today. And what an encouragement that is. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and go to John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15. As we arrive at a, another chapter here in our journey through the book of John, and we're going to be looking at <clears throat> verses 1 through 6, uh, but primarily this morning just dealing with verse number 1 and just a little bit into verse number 2. John chapter 15, beginning there in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 6. Our Lord, of course, is speaking here. He's continuing to speak uh, the same conversation that he was having with the disciples uh, leading up to this, which has been referred to as the upper room discourse. Uh, however, we'll notice some peculiar things about uh, where Jesus might be speaking these words. But John 15, verse 1, our Lord declares, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches." He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. As we look at this this morning, notice with me verse number one, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Now, before we move any further, by a way of a quick review covering quite a bit of territory, in verses in chapters 13 through 14, the emphasis that Jesus was making was what he is doing while he is away. In other words, Jesus tells his disciples in chapters 13 and 14, here's what I'm going to be doing as I leave you. Remember, that's where we heard about the comforter coming. One of the truths that he's brought out in those chapters was that while he's away, he is not leaving communion with us. In other words, he's going to remain in communion with us through the Holy Spirit. But he also declares that he's going to prepare a place. He's going to reveal himself to us, and he's going to supply all of our needs through the Holy Spirit. We get to John 15, and it's really the other side of the same truth. In other words, Jesus in those previous chapters says, here's what I'm doing while you're away. John 15, there's an emphasis on what we are to be doing while he's away from us. What do we do while he is absent? If we were to summarize it, chapters 13 and 14 declare the freeness and the fullness of of the divine grace of God. In other words, these are things he's doing out of his good grace. He's not doing it because he had to. He's not doing it because even he wanted to. He's doing it out of his divine grace. It is, it, it really, the responsibility is not on us. We don't have a particular responsibility in preparing that place. However, John 15 
begins to deal with our responsibility. And our responsibility is to what he refers to in these verses, and we won't deal so much with this today, to bear fruit. Now, over the years, and depending upon where you've come from, fruit-bearing messages have been all over the place. Fruit-bearing usually is emphasized what you do and whether what you do qualifies you to be called one of the children of God. In other words, there is an equation that says if you do enough good, that means you produce enough fruit, and because you produce enough fruit, you must be good enough to stay in the family of God. That would not be the position biblically, and that's not what we're leading to. Fruit bearing is what we're going to learn about, not so much today, but we are going to learn about what fruit, true fruit bearing is. Now, with that being said, with the equation that often people make, the connection between fruit bearing and good works, let me just quickly read to you. Again, we've been referencing our confession. We've been referencing the Valley of Vision. This is all intentional today because I want us to understand where our church stands on these very important matters. And this is what the Bible says. But in our confession of faith, chapter 16, paragraph 1 and 2, dealing with good works. Good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intentions. Paragraph 2 goes on to say, These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. And by them... Believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end eternal life." There is very few things that generate as much controversy in churches than works. Good works create what we refer to as blind zeal. In other words, a person who is, we've heard this phrase, really on fire for God will really have a ginormous catalog of good works. In other words, you will be able to know them by their fruits. They use examples like that and that they're really, they are really bearing fruit. Now we understand here that Jesus is saying more than that. And this is what establishes this entire chapter. I am the true vine. Until we understand what he means by this, the rest of this will make absolutely no sense. So we need, to, we need to consider a couple of questions today as we begin. We need to, number one, how much do we really understand the vine, the branches, and fruit bearing? That's question one. Number two, we have to ask ourselves the question, why does Christ compare himself to a vine? Why does a vine matter? There are certain thoughts, certain things that are going to come to our mind when we think vine. Why is, why is he giving a picture or a figure, because we know he's not calling himself a literal vine like we would see out in the forest somewhere, right? 
So what does he mean, though, when he goes even further and he says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away? What's the fruit? What's he, what's he referring to? And we see the serious tone in verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's, that's got a serious tone to it. So if we miss the fruit and we miss the branches and we miss the vine, we might be led to think, wow, there's a connection between how much I do and whether or not I'm going to burn or not. So we're going to get to those answers over the coming weeks. Now, as you look at any portion of Scripture, here's the dangerous thing. We've got to remember and consider that not everything is going to be reasoned and understood in the carnal mind. Matter of fact, we start looking at things and we think, I got this, vine, branch, fruit, I got it. I got an example of a vine, I got an example of a branch, and I got an example of a fruit, I, I got this. The problem is, is we need to understand that there are principles. Number one, who is he talking to? Who is Jesus speaking to right now? He's speaking to the 11. This is not a sermon. This is not an evangelistic sermon. This is not a gospel sermon. I understand we, we refer to the second service of our Sunday as the gospel service, and that's intentional. Uh, but this is not an evangelistic message in a sense. You're not going to find a call to repentance in chapter 15. You're not going to find Jesus saying, believe the gospel. He's talking to the disciples. That's important. But what's the connection? Why is he telling the disciples this? What's the topic? What's the main emphasis? Is the emphasis the vine? Is the emphasis the fruit? Is the emphasis the branches? Until we settle those things, John 15 is not going to make any sense. Because we're all going to come with an idea of what, this is, what Jesus is actually talking about. Instead of saying, okay, what's the context of what's happening here? Well, number one, we can see that this is a continuation of John 14. Our last final words of John 14 in John 14, 31, Jesus gave the commandment, arise, let us go hence. So at some point between 14 and 15, the disciples have gotten up from the table they were seated, sitting together at, and they have, they're on the move somewhere. Now, this is the same night in which Jesus is betrayed, all right? This is the same very night. This is part of the continuation of the upper room discourse. It reads like a farewell sermon. In other words, what he is saying is because in the context, he's getting ready to go away. He's been talking about leaving for an entire chapter. He, he's been talking about, if I go away, I'm going to send you a comforter. So that's the context. But the persons addressed specifically are the 11 disciples that are left. We know Judas Iscariot has already gone. He's out of, he's out of the disciples at this point. So the first answer question we need to tell ourselves is that this is not to unsaved people. Now, again, if you're here this morning and you've never been converted, you've never repented of your sin, you've never called and trusted on Christ alone for your salvation, I'd encourage you, that is the only remedy for your sin. But this is not a call to the gospel. And that's important to understand this. This isn't a mixed audience. He's speaking to Jewish disciples. Again, that's things we've got to keep in mind. Now, we see that statement, arise, let us go hence. So we know this, somewhere between the upper room 
and the Garden of Gethsemane, this is the same night he's betrayed, during the Passover, this is during Passover, there's something going on here, and there's something that Jesus is saying. He's speaking these words. And I, I got so deep in the, in the proverbial weeds this week, and I do this to myself sometimes. I start getting a lot of what people thought where he was when he said this. Now, scripturally, he, it doesn't describe that as the, as the men are walking behind Jesus, or walking with you, he stops. And sometimes the Bible does this. It actually tells you exactly. He stopped by a field. He pointed to a field. We're not told where he's looking. All right? Again, that's not the, the element of this that I think there's any evidence. If God wants us to know that, he would specifically say it. However, it was during the Passover, which there were a couple of factual things that would have been happening. Again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but between these things, where is the location of where this was happening? Now, remember, it's the Passover. Jesus kept the law perfectly. Because Jesus kept the law perfectly, here's something we do know where he would have at some point during the day, whether it was this night, uh, that night or early in the day, he would have walked and passed by the temple. During the Passover, the temple gates would have been open. Those temple gates were gates that had been created. They were, they, they were gates that were brought from Greece. They had been brought to Jerusalem. This is a historical account. doesn't tell us this in the scripture per, per se. And they had been placed in the temple. The description has been given that these gates were made of bronze. And in those gates, there was an etching. And the etching had a vine etched in it. Now, again, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but there is a reference that is equated to the vine. Why Jesus says, I am the true vine. Throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is referred to as a vine. It's, un, it's, it's unmistakable. So remember, he's speaking to Jews, Jewish disciples. He says to Jewish disciples, I am the true vine. Every Jew would have understood vine, vine, Old Testament vine. And if he was passing by those gates, and if he did happen to see those, that vine that was etched on those gates, it would have been an opportune time for Jesus to stop and say, okay, men, see that vine I am the true vine. That vine was an indication. It would have been on the temple because within that temple, Judaism was, was prevalent. It was the keeping of the law. So nobody would dispute that the vine was a symbol. Now, there's a couple of scriptures. I'm going to give you these references, and I'm just you're not going to have time to turn there. But Psalm 80, verses 8 through 9 with reference to the vine, says this, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. In Isaiah 5, verses 1 and verse 7, it says this, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. Verse 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Jeremiah 2.21, yet I had planted thee a noble vine, holy a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? 
You see this picture of I've planted as a, the well-beloved and the vine, and you see this deterioration. It's going from being a well-beloved vine to by the time we get to Jeremiah, he says, I planted this, and how did it turn into a degenerate plant? And then we know this verse, Hosea 10.1, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth unto himself. There's an announcement made in Hosea that Israel is an empty vine. Now we're going to, that's why it's important to understand why in the world would Jesus use the phrase, I am the true vine. Now we know clearly the vine is a picture of the nation of Israel. Our Lord at this point is saying something that is absolutely going to be startling to the ears of the disciples, almost as, as much as when he said, this is my body broken for you and this is the blood I'm going to shed for you. He now announces to Jewish believers, he says, I'm the true vine. We've heard this. But understand something, up to this point in history, the disciples had never heard Jesus use the phrase, I am the true vine. There's a, there's a biblical interpretation principle. It's the law of first mention. When something is brought up or mentioned for the first time, you, you take notice of it and you say, okay, wait a minute. This is a profound statement that's being made here. This is not like Jesus, you know, he, it's, it's an I am statement. You notice that, he says, I am. So that immediately gets our attention. He's declared himself to be the bread of life. I am the light of the world. But now he enters into something. I am the true vine. He doesn't just say I'm a vine. He says I'm the true vine. It's familiar to us, but it would not have been familiar to them to hear. So with that background, understand, first of all, that the central theme of John 15 is not salvation. Okay? This is not about how do I get saved. It's also not about how do I obtain salvation or is it about how I keep it. It's not about how I might lose it. Folks, over the, over the history, the church has been brainwashed, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally, to somehow equate good works with getting salvation or keeping it. You didn't get salvation by doing good works and you're not keeping salvation by doing good works. And in between of all that, you can't lose salvation anyway. But if it were connected to that, if it were connected to good works, then what Jesus says here, I am the true vine, we might as well just don't do this. Rip it out of your Bible because it would have no meaning to you. He would have just jumped immediately to saying, branches produce fruit. Everybody follow? He just would have said, you can do this without me. It's interesting though that one of the phrases that we read, the end of verse five, for without me, you can do nothing. Right after he had said, the same bringeth forth much fruit. There is no good works. There is no fruit bearing apart from the vine. Now remember, Judaizers put a great emphasis on good works. As a matter of fact, keeping the law. 
the vine, Israel, now has moved into a degenerate picture of what they were supposed to be that leads, Jesus, leads the Bible to say in Hosea, Israel is an empty vine, which means this, they are not able to give life. The vine gives life to the branches. The life in the branches comes from the vine. The fruit is a result not of the branches, but of an attachment to the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. There's not a single good work you can produce on your own. There's not a single fruit you can bear in your life apart from God. So instead, these themes, the vine, the branches, the fruit bearing, and the conditions of fruit bearing is really at the heart of this. Not how do I get saved and how do I keep it? Now, if we keep those things in mind, we're going to get to the general mean of what he's talking about. And again, you, you could not do this in a single sitting if you wanted to. Because just what he says there, I am the true vine. Remember who the speaker is and remember who the audience is. Christ speaks it. The disciples are the audience. Christ is the true vine is what he declares. That message was not received by Israel then, and it's still not received by Israel today as a whole, as a nation. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, yet Jesus declares, maybe outside of the temple gates, I'm the true vine. Not the Judaism that's inside of those temple gates. Now remember, why did Jesus keep the Passover and why did Jesus keep the law? Because he always did that which was right. However, he's speaking those things as somebody who most of the nation said, no, Israel is the vine. So the word for vine here, or the word for true, is a word in the original that means genuine. Now, if you go back and forth with language, you find out there are many uses and many comparative of what, when the word is used and when it's not used. But here's what we do know. This same word was used previously in the Gospel of John when he refers to John the Baptist. Jesus, of course, declares John the Baptist being a burning light, but he declares himself to be the true light or the genuine article. In other words, he's not saying that John the Baptist didn't preach truth, didn't speak truth, didn't live truth, but salvation or faith was not found in John the Baptist, but it was found in he who he preached, Jesus that's why when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God was taken away the sin of the world, John was saying, don't look at me. I'm not the true light. He's the true light. Although the Bible describes John as a burning light, but not the light. Moses in the wilderness gave bread, right? Manna from heaven. But Jesus then says, I am the true bread. In other words, the manna in heaven, was, the manna was delivered from heaven to the people, was just to be a picture of that which was coming, the truth. If you would have been a partaker in all of that manna and eaten that manna physically, saving faith or eternal life was not found in that manna. Now Jesus says, I'm the true vine. What is he saying? Salvation and faith is not found in Israel. And it's not found in whatever's in that temple. It's not found there. 
Man, the principles that Jesus is talking about, these, this, is, this is alarming things. And again, you say, why would the disciples? They've been, they've been with him almost three and a half years now. Remember, Jesus says repeatedly, there are things you can't bear right now. There are things you don't know. So it's an amazing truth here that that word, Jesus says, I am the true vine or I am the genuine vine. Remember, these disciples had Jewish concepts. They had thought patterns. They had been governed by the Old Testament. Remember, they're not walking around with pages of Scripture, John 15. Jesus didn't sit down and say, guys, let's turn to the Bible and turn to John 15. They were only governed by the Old Testament. So the word vine only appeared in the Old Testament because that's all they had. So here you have him telling them, the nation of Israel is not the genuine vine. And he's dispelling some things. He's telling them your identification with the Jewish nation, your identification with the Jewish religion is not the essential thing. In other words, what is going to make you part of the body is not being Jewish or being a Judaizer. Jesus says, I'm the genuine vine. The important thing he's teaching them is that these disciples must be in Christ, in him. This is a revolutionary statement at that day that you and I just read it and say, yeah, I've heard some good devotions on I'm the true vine. Some of the devotional material on abide in me and I in you is some of the worst out there. It's, 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 it lowers it down to some simple, sappy thing and says, listen, this is, this is going to promise everything's going to be all right. That's not what he's talking about here. This is running so much deeper than that. This is, Jesus is not giving them a devotional thought. Hey, man, let's sit down and let me just give you a quick devotion just to kind of pep up your spirits today. Again, that's not even the purpose of a devotion. The, the devotion kind of just says, yeah, just something light. No, no, we don't give you something too heavy. What he's telling them is extremely heavy. As a matter of fact, if we really thought about it, even us not being Jews today, what he's saying is extremely heavy. Because anything but Jesus Christ that you're depending on is not the real thing. So if any of your good works you're holding on to, thinking are propping you up, you're wrong. There's nothing you can produce. And the only thing you're going to produce, we'll learn over these weeks, is if it doesn't go to the glory of God, it's just a work done in blind zeal. And folks, there's a lot of blind zeal going on in churches all over, all over America thinking, this is real zeal for God. I'm really on fire for God. And why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? If you really love the Lord, do you do this? And pastors are standing up, taking the Bible, and they're browbeating people with it, saying, you're not producing enough fruit. And yet, that's not what he's saying. We'll see over the weeks, he's promising something. If that branch is attached to the vine... It's always going to produce fruit. But if it doesn't, it's going to be cast away. And there's a purpose in all that. So these concepts, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, as opposed to something that is counterfeit. Now, the question today often people ask is, which is the true church? 
And this is happening in a lot of different things. Denominations are arguing who's the right denomination. Should you be Baptist? Should you be Methodist? Should you be Presbyterian? Should you be, should you be non-denominational? Listen, you're getting way off course. People ask me all the time, why am I a Baptist? Why am I a Baptist pastor and Baptist preacher? Why will I die a Baptist pastor and preacher? Because I believe the doctrine that Baptists held to, the historic doctrines of the faith, is Bible doctrine. That's why I'm a Baptist. That doesn't mean every Baptist identifies. There are Baptists that would already have gotten up and left what I've said today in the first service offended. But I'm not trusting in the Baptist religion. Okay? But I'm a Baptist by conviction. And I believe that true historical Baptist, that's why we have a Baptist confession of faith. I believe that that describes what the Bible teaches. That's why we put an emphasis on it. It doesn't supersede Scripture. If we're reading along one day and we find out, wait a minute, this doesn't line up, then we say the Bible's right. But it helps us to say this is what we believe. That's why I read what good works really are because the Bible declares what good works are. Somebody might ask you, are you part of the true church? The question is really being asked, are you one with Christ? That's the true part of the vine. Being part of the vine is to be one with Christ. If you have a real connection with Jesus Christ, whatever part of the visible church you might belong to, then you are said to be part of the true vine. There are pastors and churches out there that are teaching that it is your denomination somehow plays a role in the order. In other words, there are people who spend all their time saying, unless you can trace it back to Baptist way and historical, then you're not part of the true church. No, what you want to be traced back to is Christ. There have been denominations that were once all about Christ, who now today are not. There are denominations in which people were convicted and converted under that were not completely right in all of their doctrine. There are some that have gone the total wrong way. Jesus is declaring Judaism is not the way. The keeping of the law is not the way. But he says, I am the true vine, and don't miss this, and my father is the husbandman. And we're going to learn a little bit about that because that next statement is just as important as the first. The true church has a real connection with Christ and is kept by the caretaker or they, he who is responsible for the church, and that's the Father. Listen, there are passages that remind us of people who we believe were, had a right intention but we're missing Jesus' point. How about Martha, who was cumbered about with much? Jesus was coming, you recall, to, to be with her, and Martha was the one who was always busy serving and busy working, and Jesus was coming, and Mary just wanted to be at his feet. It's been said by many pastors of old who stood and say, listen, now when, when Jesus comes, don't you want to be found busy? Busy doing what? Busy doing what? What is it that you want to be found busy doing? 
Something by blind zeal that you think is connecting your relationship or by a real vital connection that's going to produce real fruit. The bottom line is, listen, I used to be said this. Would you really want Jesus to come back and find you watching TV? Here's the reality. He might. Okay, call me a sinner if I have a TV. He might find me watching a sports game. He might. But if you think that's going to make me say all of a sudden, oh, I must not be in Christ. Folks, I heard this growing up. Now again, it's going to produce real fruit, but Jesus was not talking about that. What is something else? What if he finds you reading a good book? Is that better? If TV's the devil, maybe you're reading a book. If you're not reading the Bible when he comes, is it still, are you going to worry about whether you're in Christ or not? Look, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but folks, that's what this has come down to. People use this passage and say, okay, here's what you need to be doing. And pastors are giving their congregations a list of all the acceptable good works. And if you do all these things, this is fruit bearing. Interesting, Jesus is not going to tell them if you do this, 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 and this, but he is going to say that those who are really connected in me are going to produce fruit. What Martha was doing when Jesus came wasn't bad, but it was not the most important part. Some of us get so occupied in serving the Lord, there's a tendency for us to just become, I just want to be numbered with the serving. We begin to think that the burden of everything that's going on in the churches lies upon my shoulders. And if I don't do this and I don't do this, then the work of God's going to be hindered. If the work of God is hindered, then His plan's going to be hindered and He's not going to carry out and I'm going to hinder the Holy Spirit. Do you see how this gets? You're putting everything as if the church is riding on your shoulders. And yet Jesus dispels it by saying, I'm the true vine and my father is the husbandman which means ultimately he's the caretaker. If you think you're the pillar holding up the roof, you're not because I wouldn't be in here. If any of you are the pillar holding this roof on, I don't have enough faith in you to hold the roof up. Sorry, I love you, but you're not strong enough to hold this burden and neither am I. If I come in here one day and say, listen, all you folks need to do is look to me. Run as quick as you can. I'm serious. Get out. Throw me out. If I ever once tell you to look to me as the standard, you're already going to be disappointed if you look to me for anything to find your sufficient satisfaction. I've disappointed all of you more than once. I don't set out to do it, but it's going to happen. Why? Because I am not the source and the object of faith. But Jesus is saying, I am. I am the vine. And he can say, you have to look to me. You've got to be connected to me. He never once tells any of the disciples, look to each other. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the husbandman. The husbandman, we'll talk about this in a moment, takes the utmost care of it. When Jesus declared to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he wasn't just giving him small talk. 
And he wasn't just saying that I, Jesus, am going to keep everything together. He was saying the same concept. My father will hold this together. Folks, no matter how bad this world gets, and it's going to get worse, the gates of hell will not, provide, will not prevail against the true church. If every building in this country gets blown up and every church building says you can no longer identify with your church, the true church will always be in existence. Never, ever will it fail. Don't get your eyes on what the church is or isn't doing to define, oh, the church is gone. Man, I saw this picture on, <laughs> I saw this picture on Facebook this morning of a church. Oh my, I'm talking about, you talk about being so convicted. This, this missionary puts out a request. They've got this old stone building. It was built in the early, the early 50s. Block cement concrete walls. No windows. Just, it looks like a cell block. Okay? I mean, it, it, if you would come to our country and say, there's a church, everybody's going to say, that's a rundown old place. I'm not going, there's no church meeting in there. The guy's begging money. He says, there's cracks in this wall. When you look inside, dirt floors, benches that are sitting half up and half out. They're, they're, I mean, we look at it and we say, oh, people label that's a, that's a rundown church. But guess what? The guy's proclaiming the true gospel of Christ. And he said, listen, we, we, just, we need a few dollars to fix the cracks in the walls because this church, the building might fall down. Now, if the building falls down, he's still going to have a church. But folks, when you start identifying what the true church is, don't get your eyes so glazed over and say, that big glamorous place, that's, that's really where God is at work. I listened to a message yesterday. I don't know why I did it. Whole hour, I sat and watched this. And you get to the end and say, okay, we're going to reveal. This is, this is what's going to make people want Jesus. Folks, the men, and, and here's what they said. He said, we need, to, we, need to, we need to stop convincing ourselves that it's us doing it. And yet they had to, they had to give a facelift to everything and say, so now people will really see what God is doing. Can I tell you, that little concrete block building that you and I probably in our own humanity would drive by and we would say, there's nothing going on there. And there's probably more spirituality and more holiness and probably more desire for the doctrine of Christ in that little concrete building than in most churches in this country. Who have decided, listen, we got to attract. We've got to draw. And Jesus says, listen, if you're part of the true church, you're part of the true vine. Remember that temple, if you'd have walked by that temple, that temple was something to look at. Yet Jesus says, I'm the true vine. This true connection with the church. Here's a great truth. There is not a branch that is connected to the vine of Christ in which the Father does not love with an infinite, everlasting, sovereign love. Those believers that are meeting in that foreign country today hoping the building doesn't fall, are just as much a branch as anybody else.
God has never, nor will ever, need our clever plans to build His church. He said, I'll build it. I will build it, and I am the true vine in which it will be built. So if he's the true vine, the father is the husbandman, then he immediately goes into verse 2. We'll just kind of hit the highlight here. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. All we'll look at this morning is he declares who the branch is. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. So Christ is the true vine. Number one. Number two, believers are the branches of Christ. Here's another figure that the Lord uses that the disciples would have been familiar with. Israel likened to a vine in the Old Testament. The value of the vine lies in the fruit it produces. If a vine produces nothing, then it serves no purpose. So the vine in chapter 15, he uses a normal everyday thing of the earth. But yet he's using this to set forth the relationship between Christ and his people while they're on the earth. Okay, remember, chapter 15 is about what we're doing for him. Again, not in the sense of trying to earn it or keep it or gain it. But the vine and the branches in John 15 does not represent everything that the visible church claims to be, nor does it encompass the entire sphere of Christians. Folks, there are people today that say we're the part of the true church. We're part of, we're real believers, but they're not in Christ. That's why there's a mention made, there are going to be branches. There are branches that are not of me, but those branches will be cast away. But he even says this, that there's branches that bears fruit when it purges that branch. It's... It's even common in our day and age today. If you go out into a garden or you go out into a tree and you, you, or a bush and you trim that, it produces more. It produces more. The source and the author of purging in the life of a believer, God is the author of the purge. In other words, when He puts you through something, He is purging you to produce more. We think we can purge ourselves and we can just produce more without the vine. Listen, I I guarantee you something. If I go home today and I cut a branch off of my tree, one that still has some leaves hanging on it, that branch will not survive. Even if I did it in the middle of the summer. No matter how much I prune it, I can bring it in the house and say, look, we're going to put this in the living room. And I'm going to trim it all nice. I'm going to... it won't produce anything. Why? Because it's detached from the vine. There's no connection. He's using this figure of speech. He's making it clear your identification with a religion, a denomination, a group, a ceremony, an organization is not what's essential. He's telling his disciples, you must be identified with me. We are in Christ, the Bible declares, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The moment we repent and the moment we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are in Christ. It's not after we claim that and then produce a few good things that justify whether or not we're worth it or not. 
One of the grand mistakes we make, people come to know Christ as their Savior, and churches say, okay, now because you're saved, you need to do this, 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 and this, and we need to do this right away. That's not the way it works. I've watched people get saved and claim profession of faith, and because they didn't quote-unquote clean their act up right away, they say, you're not welcome here anymore. You're making stuff up. At that point, you are making stuff up. And the reality is, is this fruit that's being produced is all being produced by the vine. The vine's producing it. I could produce a lot of good works today and the next week that will impress you. You could do a lot of good things this week and you could send me a text and say, you're not going to believe what I did this week. And that'd be impressive. But the problem is, was that a result of the vine or a result of you? You know, even in our good work, sometimes, many times, we have the wrong motive as to why we're doing the good work. We say, I don't believe in good work saving me or keeping me. But in the back of our mind, in the back of our hearts, we're saying, this proves something to me. Again, we're going to learn. He said, my, if you're in me, you're going to produce fruit. The reality is, is it the fruit that he's produced? I am the true vine. All who are truly united to Christ are members of the true church. You're going to find them everywhere. You're going to find them here. You're going to find them in overseas in little churches that nobody knows about. They're barely able to just meet together to worship, much less produce fruits that will impress you. When you start railing on another church in a foreign country that doesn't do any quote-unquote one-to-one soul winning or one-to-one this, I want you to understand something. There's things they're facing you have no idea what they're even dealing with. But yet in our judgmental spirit, we know what everybody should be doing because that's what the fruit is. God says fruit. God says fruit bearing. The problem is, what's he producing? It's interesting that most of the fruit that he tells is going to be produced has to do with him and his glory, not so much about even what we do. Folks, I'm telling you, we have been hamstrung in churches over the years thinking, I don't believe in good works, but we think it's doing something. So God is, the God the Father is the husbandman. That's another startling word, by the way. The Old Testament passages and in the parables, God is declared to be the owner of the vineyard. God the Father is the keeper, the farmer, the one who takes care of the vineyard. Christ is declared to be the genuine vine. The Father takes care of the branches and He takes care of the Son, the vine. Can you imagine how much God the Father cares for the church? Can you imagine how much he cares for the vine? Folks, there's nobody or no thing that can care for the vine and care for the church the way the Father does. Before time began, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit produced a way that would be the redemption for man. Before you and I ever took a breath, before man was even created, It was all ordained before the foundation of the world. The husbandman is a word that means land worker. It's fascinating. The earth belongs to the Lord, but by the way, 
It doesn't yield anything unless he does the work. It's an amazing thing. We say, unless, I, want, I just want God to do the work. Then quit trying to do the work for him. It won't get done if I don't do it. No, it won't get done unless God does it. <laughs> Folks, you know, we spent a lot of time as this, this little church, which has just become so, so dear to each other. I mean, oh my word, when I came in here five years ago and we sat here and we said, you know, look, if God wants this, if God wants this little congregation to stay, God's going to have to do the work. And if you were here during those days and you saw things that were going to look, there was no guarantee we were going to be standing anywhere. And we said to one another, those that were here all those years ago, we said, listen, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to tell you, I'm not making you promises of what we're going to be, what we're going to look like, how many people we're going to, that we're going to be doing some building. I just said, listen, we're going to come. We're going to preach the word of God. We're going to make Christ central to everything we do. And God's going to do all the work. And wherever that leads us, that's where we're going to be. And folks, that's where we're sitting today. But some would come in and say, what's this little church doing? We're just trying to be obedient to what Christ has told us to do. And it isn't perfect. You've got an imperfect pastor standing before you because we've got imperfect people all over this building. And yet we have made Christ central. We've said we're going we're gonna to make sure our doctrine is right. We're going to stand on the principles of the word of God. And we're just going to let God do the work because, number one, we don't have to let him do it. He will do his work as he sees fit. People, you hear it all the time. I've got to get out of the way and let God do the work. You've never been in his way. I mean, people actually think that highly of themselves. I'm in God's way. And if I don't move, he's not. When has God ever asked permission from anybody? <laughs> he's never asked me one time, can I show up today? But I've stood up here many times and say, you know what? Probably the, most, the best thing I could do right now is just be quiet and sit down. But he's never asked me, can I get in? Can I move? This husbandman, he works the field. He takes care of it. The vine and all the branches. Listen, it, Jesus is saying, if you want to know, disciples, where the true church is, it's not in Israel. It's not in the wall. It's in me. All who are in Christ are the true church. Don't go trying to follow some line of where that church started. Don't, don't go try finding all this out and say, listen, where, where, is, where does this lead us? And if I can't find it, if I can't find in my church is founded in a Baptist church in Jesus' time, then it must not be the true church. I have news for you. You're not going to find a single Baptist church in Jesus' day. You're not going to find a Methodist. You're not going to find a Lutheran. You're not going to find a denomination. The churches didn't spring up in Paul's day and say, the Ephesus Baptist Church. But the churches he mentioned are the ones that are founded on Christ. Again, as long as I'm pastor here, as long as I have a say-so in it, I think this church should always be a Baptist church. But that's not where our faith is found. And that's not what makes us the true church. Doctrine is sound. The doctrine is from the Word of God. That's what Baptists are supposed to believe. But Jesus is telling them very carefully, and, and us today, listen, if you want to know, I'm the true vine. The Father 
is the husbandman. The true vine, the true church will never die. It is Christ's church. The true church will never be uprooted. When people start getting on the television and on the internet and start telling you this is the end of the church, please, please, please don't believe them. And if some evangelist comes traveling through town and says, listen, if we don't have revival now, we are doomed. No, we are not. I want revival as much as the next guy, but if you think that that's the only way the church is going to continue, you have not read your Bible. The Bible never declares we depend upon revival. We depend upon the husbandman. We depend upon the vine. We are merely the branches. And as soon as you get that in your mind, I get that in my mind that I'm the branches, I produce no life in and of myself, any life of myself, physical or spiritual life. I didn't ordain myself to be born physically. I didn't ordain myself to be born to the parents that I have. I didn't ordain myself to be the pastor of this church. I didn't ordain to be the husband of this wife. I didn't ordain myself to be the parent of these children. Adults, sorry. I did not ordain that. Nor did I ordain my salvation. So why in the world would I think that I can ordain what good works and fruits look like? God is the worker. God is the husbandman. He cares for it. It is a guarantee Listen, in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the Lord Jesus would grow up before him a tender plant, Isaiah 53, 2, as a root out of the dry ground. The Father is the one who cared for the vine. And if he cares for the vine, his son, he will care for the branches. Listen, every other vine, Jesus was telling them, are nothing but a shadow of the true vine, the true church. A vine can represent Christ but he himself is the very substance of it. He's the truth. If somebody asks who the true church is, it's not even, it's Springfield Bible Baptist Church. That's the true, that's, that's the true church. No, it's all who are vitally joined to Christ. You could be seated here today. You could be on the membership role of this church and not even be one of the branches. So if you think being here today has somehow makes you part of the true church, you've missed it. You've got to be with Christ, in Christ. The branches must be joined to the vine. For what purpose? We're going to learn this over the next couple of weeks. For fruit bearing. That's why. These thoughts, these, these ideas that we're going to learn by this discourse that Jesus gives, it's going to produce fruit in our life. And we're going to find out that to bear fruit, you have to abide in him. And we'll learn about what all those words mean going forward. All right, let's go ahead and stand and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And then, as I said, I'll leave you with a thought in the Valley of Vision and we'll be on our way. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word today. 
Lord, even the clarity that's given when we don't fully understand and fully comprehend maybe everything we've heard today, we know that within your word, there is clarity. Lord, help us as we leave this place in just a few moments, Lord, to think on the truths that have been spoken of today. Lord, may our flesh and our reasoning and our rationale and our opinion not be that which guides us, but may it be the truth of Christ guiding us. Lord, I pray we leave here today encouraged by the words of our Lord as he declares, I am the true vine. And if there's anything today that we have trusted in or are trusting in that goes beyond what Jesus declares, I pray today that we would repent of that and realize that is the false way. Lord, thank you for what you have done in this congregation. Thank you for what you have, how you've provided But Lord, we also know that in your decree and in your sovereignty, Lord, you can choose to use us for for your honor, for your glory. We don't dictate to you. You use us as you see fit. Lord, as we've asked earlier today, may we just simply understand we are vessels of mercy. We are trophies of the grace of God. Not to shine forth ourselves ourselves, but that others might see Christ in us. We thank you and praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake, I ask, amen. This is entitled The Gospel Way. Blessed Jesus, no human mind could conceive or invent the gospel. Acting in eternal grace, thou art both its messenger and its message. Lived out on earth through infinite compassion, applying thy life to insult, injury, death, that I might be redeemed, ransomed, and freed. Blessed be thou, O Father, for contriving this way. Eternal thanks to thee, O Lamb of God, for opening this way. Praise everlasting to thee, O Holy Spirit, for applying this way to my heart. Glorious Trinity, impress the gospel on my soul until its virtue diffuses every faculty. Let it be heard, acknowledged, professed, and felt. Teach me to secure this mighty blessing. Help me to give up every darling lust, to submit my heart and life to its command, to have it in my will, controlling my affections, molding my understanding, to adhere strictly to the rules of true religion, not departing from them in any instance, nor for any advantage in order to escape evil, inconvenience, or danger." Take me to the cross to seek glory from its infamy. Strip me of every pleasing pretense of righteousness by my own doings. O gracious Redeemer, I have neglected thee too long, often crucified thee, crucified thee afresh by my impenitence. Put thee to open shame. I thank thee for the patience that thou hast borne with me so long and for the grace that now makes me willing to be thine. O unite me to thyself with inseparable bonds, that nothing may ever draw me back from thee, my Lord and my Savior. I trust you'll have a wonderful day in the Lord. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here today.